Hello and welcome to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today. Your co-hosts, Valian Likely and Catherine Lotzbeach. Welcome back to Millennial Ag. We are at episode 12 and we are really excited to have another special guest this week. Yes, I am sitting here at the Idaho Cattle Association Convention with Amanda Radke. You may have seen her um, on social media lately. She wrote a very eloquent letter to Ellen DeGeneres in combating Ellen's Instagram video about going meatless. She's a rancher from South Dakota, raises limousine cattle with her family, and is on a generational farm and ranch. I, um, she spoke here at the Idaho Cattle Association, and when she showed up on stage yesterday in coveralls, I knew I liked her. So <laughs> with that, Amanda, do you want to kind of dive into a little bit more about yourself and how you kind of got started with all this stuff too. Sure. Uh, so a pleasure to be on here and tell a little bit of my story. Uh, I write for Beef Magazine. So every Monday through Thursday at beefmagazine.com, I'm writing about these consumer trends and kind of what people are saying about our industry and trying to provide people with the tools they need to be strong advocates and resonate with our consumers based on their values and not our values. Um, same goes for family businesses. And that's what I talked about yesterday is, you know, how can we better relate to each other as family members while also trying to maintain our ranching operations and kind of comes back to the same thing, whether it's an uncle to a cousin or to a daughter or, you know, son-in-law or whatever, or a random consumer on the street is if, you know, we lead with kindness and, and the truth and the facts um, and, and think logically through things, whether that's deciding what you're going to eat at the grocery store or how you're going to pass on, you know, an asset and an operation, if we lead with that kindness and, and that truth, you know, that's how we really have productive conversations. It's, it's so refreshing to hear because we, we see, we were just talking about social media platforms before we started and the, the tweets and the Trump, Trump's tweets and all the negativity stemming around that mm-hmm. and having a producer or a family member that at least we can have that civil conversations, mm-hmm. but how do you recommend that we just sit down and start those conversations? Because you have to be vulnerable, and it's scary right. on different fronts to have those conversations. Yeah, I have a friend on Instagram that does it really well. She lives on a dairy farm, and she every day is out with her kids in her coveralls, and she's showing people just what they do every day to make a safe milk product for people to enjoy and one day she said you know i'm getting beat up so much because it doesn't matter what i say the ranching or the egg community is beating me up and the activists are beating me up and i wonder why i'm doing this at all and i encourage her to just keep going because i thought it was so refreshing that she was going to open up her heart and her soul and just share her story and it's not the people that take the time to hate on you that matter it's the 95% of folks that never say anything at all, that just genuinely are learning something because you're being yourself. Um, but unfortunately, there's never any validation to that. There's never a gold sticker you get at the end of the day because those people are just quietly observing and, and making up their own mind. And so you kind of have to just be confident enough or strong enough, have that tough skin enough to not feed the trolls or focus on the haters and just really try to reach the people that genuinely just have those questions. And it's, I think... In any industry, we kind of call them the noisy minority that yeah. just shake everything up and get under our skins and, and make 
make us not who we are right as people when we start responding to some of that yeah after the ellen letter went viral one of these activists went and photoshopped my picture which had said i was in the pasture with a sign that said ellen can i please come on your show and talk about beef cattle sincerely a south dakota beef producer and he had photoshopped it to say ellen can i come on your show and talk about how i murder animals sincerely a south dakota psychopath and i was like that's kind of good you know like and so i just i was like do i ignore it or not but i'm like it was kind of more creative of the hate mail i received so i i just commented you know Nice photoshopping skills. Please keep it kind on my page because I tend to know how these things escalated. And even that was just an invitation for him to be nasty. And, and days later, he was still fighting with people on my page. And it was just like I never should have pushed play on that button because that's exactly what he was looking for was an acknowledgement so he could continue to fuel his hateful message. And, so, and that's really what it is because they're claiming to be compassionate in the name of an animal that they love all while threatening a human being. And those aren't the type of people I want to relate to in my daily life. So why would I relate to them on social media too? It's best to just ignore those delete and, and Yeah, delete on. and block. I, I mean, it's there's no shame in blocking someone that's threatening your life or threatening, you know, making your page just a miserable place or impacting yourself, you know, in a way that makes you feel sad or down about yourself. That's not what social media is for. So absolutely. And how you talked a little bit in the last section session about different different approaches but the one thing i kind of took away was how do we how do we um compare or take out the humanization of those animals because they're on this planet god put them on this planet um for our benefit and for us to take care of them but right. ultimately for a food source for mm -hmm. us but how do we kind of take that humanization out of those animals and share that message with consumers. Sure, it's it's tricky because I, it starts with what I call the Disney effect, where you know, every Disney movie that's out there or every children's movie that's on the shelf, it seems like the animal walks and talks and has the full range of emotions, while the humans are either just the side character or the bad guy. Um, and so I that's why I got into writing children's books because I wanted to flip that conversation on its head I wanted to put the rancher as the main character in the book and it was him that was the hero in the story because he was taking care of the livestock and the land and providing habitat for wildlife and enriching people's lives with the beef that he was raising um, but that's a really tricky shift because our relationship with animals is much different whether you live on a ranch and take care of cattle and know sometimes animals die um, and sometimes those animals end up in your freezer to be eaten and you understand and respect that because you're intimately involved in it compared to the urban consumer whose relationship with animals is their beloved dog and cat and what they see at the zoo and on these movies or YouTube videos. And so it is a tough pill to swallow. Um, but the one thing I remind people is no matter what your diet, whether it's a salad or, or a steak, there is animal death. It's the reality of human life on this planet and you know whether you're plowing up a field and misplacing wildlife um, that called that grassland home you know to grow your cereal grains or you're you know having a beef cow and ultimately eating that cow there is that death but again it's just it's a really tough conversation to have because nobody likes the idea of an animal having to die for them to live and I will say from the Christian lens that I often talk about and understanding the infinite value of that human person over an animal a really great read on that topic is what would jesus really eat it talks about building the biblical case for 
for eating meat and why Christians don't have to feel bad about it. And it's because the activists know that's kind of the last holdout of really embracing this plant-based diet. So they're kind of going after that Christian community to make them feel guilty, you know, about their food choices. So random caveat. There, no, but, I'm going to have to add that book yeah. to my reading list. Cause that's, we, when you put, yeah, humans and animals in that same category, it goes down to what we're killing or we're murderers or we're all those things, which is anti-Christian. But when you can look at it through the lens of this is God's intention for Mm -hmm. these animals, it, right. It helps reach all sorts of communities and also put that kindness back into conversations. Right. Absolutely. And that's, you know, Ellen, she's compassionate about animals. And I think that's what drove her decision to not eat meat. And again, it's not about her not eating meat. It's just about, her having the right information about meat production that I feel like she what hadn't been exposed to before. And I, I told Ellen, I'm compassionate about animals too. And here's how I view it from a rancher's perspective and what animal welfare and, you know, stewardship of those animals really means to me. And that's providing nutrition and shelter and, and adequate, you know, health and formal vaccines is needed so they're not sick and, um, you know, clean water and all the things that they need to thrive and be healthy and, and productive. So did Ellen ever respond or did you get some feedback from her at all? Uh, So I ended up doing 23 media interviews after the letter went viral and it was read tens of millions of times, which was super exciting. Um, And everyone kept asking, did Ellen call? And two people told me that they had connections to producers at her show and that they were well aware. I I imagine she was getting tagged on Instagram like every second it seemed like. It It was awesome how much the egg community really rallied around this letter and helped it get legs, you know, because I couldn't have done that by myself. Um, but no, she never reached out. And the wind was really taken out of my sails when I saw she had a sponsored post on her, or part of her show um, that aired that was a plant-based burger company. And I said, well, surely she's not going to have the real deal beef on her show if she's got these sponsors that, you know, are paying her the big bucks. It, it would be like inviting her now to the Idaho Cattle Association. And I really think if I still had the opportunity to talk with her, I'm sure she was worried I would get on the show and be combative or, you know, wanted to debate her. But honestly, I just wanted her to meet a rancher and just be able to look someone like me in the eye and say like, here's our story here in rural America and here's what we're doing. And you know, we love, we, we do have those shared values. And I talked about that in my speech, but we care about animal welfare and the environment and nutrition, and food safety. And, you know, if that food tastes good and if it fits in our budget, we care about all the same things, whether you live in Los Angeles or Idaho or South Dakota. Um, so that's what we have in common. And let's focus less on what pulls us and divides us apart. Even though you didn't get to talk to Ellen, um, Amanda, I still think that this is a huge win because you did, you said you had 23 other interviews you know, I mean, from our perspective, Nine Valines, it blew up across social media. And so there really was a ripple effect, um, even though you didn't get to talk with Ellen. And it sounds like maybe she <laughs> is, is going in a different direction. But I, I still think that's a win that we should celebrate. That's, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. At the end of the day, I feel happy with it. I knew I wanted to end it on a positive note because after a while, it was a lot of interviews. It was consuming my whole life. And I said in my speech, we were flooding on the ranch at the time. It was super stressful timing. It was not ideal, you know, and I was ready oh. to put Ellen to bed. Kind of like I'm ready to move on with my life. Um, but, you know, like, like you said, the media interviews were fantastic. And just the egg community being willing to say, like, hey, we really liked what you wrote and we're willing to help you. And so now I feel like moving forward, 
I ended that blog and I talked about all the, you know, I said in my final blog to Ellen, I want you to just to know the heart of rural America and that we're doing more than just trying to raise cattle and, and make money here in rural America. We are helping out our in our communities. So things like the All-American Beef Battalion, that they serve steaks to the troops as a way to say thank you. Uh, the Cowboys Who Care Foundation, and they make resist all custom hats to give to kids with chemo, or with cancer going through chemo patients to say like, hey, you have the spirit of the cowboy and you can kick cancer's butt. Um, the South Dakota Cattlemen's Foundation, and they raise money to fill, fill our state's food banks um, with beef. You know, these are the, the hearts of rural America, and I feel like that's really what our values are, much beyond just putting beef on the dinner table. And so that, I was really happy to be able to end it on that note and kind of say goodbye to Ellen. But also it was kind of a symbolic way of saying I'm passing on the baton to the next advocate because I gotta, I gotta regroup here <laughs> and the next person can handle you know something else. And when they write something fantastic and are vulnerable and put it on social media, I'm gonna be the first person clicking share and like and making that thing go viral and far outside of our own community. And that's, I think, all standing together and, and lifting each other up. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned Brandy Buzzard mm -hmm. and, and the Congress and the her writing a letter and how far that went, too, yeah. and having the support of, every, of, of agriculture together, whatever industry sure. segment we are in. Yeah, she handled that so gracefully when Congresswoman AOC came out with her Green New Deal and talked about eliminating farting cows. And I was frustrated, you know, because that's how politics is anymore. It's, it's right versus left and there's no nowhere in the middle and we can all get sucked into that. But Brandy had the humility and the grace to say, hey, I want to have a conversation with you. We don't see eye to eye, but let me talk to you about these cattle and, and our true environmental impact and how it actually benefits the planet to produce beef and have cattle on the range. She was on all kinds of mainstream media and news outlets and, and Congresswoman AOC took that recommendation off of her website. So it was like a total victory, all because someone was willing to say, hey, we, we see the world a different place, but if you just have the chance to hear my story, maybe you might understand where I'm coming from. And so I think we need more of that in the world, but it's tough. It's hard. <laughs> it's super hard because you have to leave your ego at the door and, and your own personal convictions and meet the consumer where they're at and what their values are and try to connect with them there instead of your comfort zone. Put put on the lens of, of the consumer or the politician or whatever mm -hmm. and try to look at it, maybe not necessarily from a producer's standpoint, right. but, but from where they're at. And that's, it's not always easy when your day-to-day -day life revolves around production right. ag and you're like, they don't understand when we're flooding and right. I'm knee deep in cow poop today and right. the kids are sick and yes. now I'm getting hate mail on top of this. Absolutely. But how, how you can just sometimes take a step back and and put the lint, the glasses of somebody else on for even 10 minutes. And I always do the test, you know, if I was just sitting at a coffee shop with a person and they said something to me, you know, how would I respond in person? I wouldn't lead with being angry and, you know, combative. I would try to be kind and try to find something where we could have that shared experience or common understanding. And I think that's, it's just easy to get sucked into that on social media or in the way politics are today. And, and food is politics anymore, it's getting to be. And so it's very easy, especially when we're so close to it and invested in it and it's our livelihoods and our passions and our family traditions all wrapped into one. It's, mm -hmm. it's very hard not to get emotionally, you know, out of control and, and elicit a response that's negative. And, 
but that's what the activists want is they want to see us enraged and out of control and being in these arguments that means they're winning so it's and they get us back on our heels and scared and mm -hmm. and angry and then we don't look our best or we're yeah. not approaching those situations so what's maybe some advice you would give the millennial generation or the next generation coming up for for producers that want to be involved that want to start advocating for agriculture how do we get started and how do we know what to fight or what to respond to sure you know i think for starters it can seem overwhelming at first like you think oh amanda does a blog so i have to do a blog four days a week to do it effectively or do it like her i think whatever feels natural to you so pick a platform you like whether it's twitter or instagram or facebook and don't try to be in every single place and do every single thing and then share the stories that feel good to you so is that cooking a steak for your family or you know a beef snack for your kids to have you know at school that day or is it talking about feeding hay or outside on the ranch working i'm um, just sharing little snippets of your life and that's that's quick and easy and something that just gives people a, a window into your life and also just find things like this podcast if something really resonates with you share it and you don't have to do the work you just are sharing somebody else that's taking the time to do it and and so then then it becomes just a matter of finding those great people and regurgitating what they've already put out there and it makes it a lot less overwhelming and just sharing sharing what's on our hearts but sharing sharing what other people are doing too and right. just helping boost your platform and use you right or vice versa that. and yeah. and we're yeah working together in collaboration yeah. and i will say you know when the activists got a hold of me about day three when the letter went viral it was the people that took the time to just like like or comment or say something encouraging and shoot me like a positive message it just flipped the switch for me because it was like you know not everybody hates me even though it's the negative comments that really sink in you know to your skin but it's like no there's other people that support me and i'm not in this by myself and like i must be doing something right to you know kind of elicit this kind of response and like the agriculture community is tight-knit and if you need help we have each other's back and i think that's what's amazing about agriculture in general so if you got something good coming up don't be afraid to share it and share it loudly and ask for i, I mean i will say like i did during the ellen video ask people out of the letter i said please share this on your stories and take myself and ellen and let like help me i, I asked for help and i think that's sometimes hard to do too but if you've got the momentum you know how can you keep it rolling and all you have to do is ask and people will rally around you and i think that's great words of advice because we're especially in agriculture mm -hmm. we sometimes want to pull up our bootstraps and say i can do this by myself right because i don't want to burden other people or i don't want right. to ask for help so having the courage to to reach out to people that aren't normally in your right. circle and ask for help or ask for shares or mm -hmm. just what do you think if I go this direction right. with something? And I think that segues onto probably a different topic, but just mental health in the agriculture community this year is pretty tough. A lot of producers are in a tough place. I read that the USDA said farm and ranch bankruptcies are the highest they've been in 10 years and we're seeing producers exit the business like at an alarming rate and so when your whole identity is wrapped up in farm or ranch and you're losing it after generations of it being in your family that's devastating and so don't just be willing to ask for help on the advocacy side of things be willing to ask for help 
um, you know, if you're struggling and you're depressed and you're not sure what to do or how to feed your family or pay your bills, because chances are you're not alone. There's others in this industry and, um, you know, you might not weather the storm with your business intact, but we want people to still be here because their lives are more valuable than just what they do on their farms or their ranches. And we, we as a community can help Yes, get those people or ourselves mm -hmm. through the, those situations because yeah. I think we've all at some level struggled with that or know people that have struggled and it's and it's saying we're, we'll be here for you absolutely we're a community and that's what I love about agriculture is it's you don't know everybody but you know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody absolutely and we're all in it together and we've all had the bad days or the tractor breaks down or like I said in my speech that one in one week the tractor broke down we took a big cut on our paycheck at the sale barn and then the semen tank dried up with all of our embryos in it and then I got hate mail that said we can't wait for you to disappear like the dinosaurs you ranchers are archaic and should be out of business and and then you a guy out of UC Berkeley tweeted uh, people in rural America should be miserable because they're dumb and slow and they deserve the miserable lives that they have all that happened in one week and I admit I was having a rough time with it and wondered what the heck am I doing in this business right now it's tough and nobody cares anyway if we succeed and chances are other people have had those same emotions on a tough week or a tough day or a tough year and so that's what's great about social media too is like here I've probably met 15 20 people that I connected with on Instagram which is so cool because all of a sudden that makes it a real thing I'm not just talking to strangers on the internet I'm meeting real people and making real connections with people all across the country it's it's incredible oh that's awesome and just jumping back to your your bad week um, how did you get through that or how would you recommend people that are, are struggling for say a week or or longer how do you how did you get through that tough week and that hate mail sure. and write it out stronger than you were going in <laughs> sure I don't know if I am over it yet to be honest <laughs> the bills haven't quite come in yet so I'll probably have another bad week here soon um, but yeah it's tough I think my husband's super strong and just like he's very um, determined and stubborn like where there's a will there's a way and he says we're, we're smart and we work hard and we're gonna make it through no matter what um, but uh, sometimes just the grit your teeth and get through it strategy doesn't always work and you have to face reality that the ranch isn't you know financially viable and the reality is that 85 percent of families rely on off-farm income so both my husband have off-farm jobs and that really takes the the brunt of some of those losses off but if you don't have that income then it becomes a matter of can I put groceries on you know in the refrigerator that week or whatever it might be and that's some scary serious stuff and so I don't know if I have good advice for it but whether if you're married you got to be on the same page as your spouse or if you're in the family business you've got to be communicating with your parents or grandparents and make sure everybody's doing okay and on the same page and and sometimes you just have to humble yourself that you need help whether that's in the form of someone to talk to or getting the tools you need from a team of people like lawyers and CPAs to help your business kind of get over that hump um, or finding that off from income to help during these these low times um, when the markets aren't great and and trade wars are crazy and uh, and things the future is uncertain and just sometimes that's tough though really tough yeah and even <laughs> maybe having a game plan going knowing because in agriculture everything's so volatile mm -hmm. that we it's not a matter of if we're going to have another downtime or if we're going to have another bad week it's when are we going to 
going to have it. And so maybe having those hard conversations with your family to say, okay, next time the tractor breaks down or we can't hire somebody or this is happening, we kind of have a game plan and everybody's on the same page. Absolutely. I think one of the best lessons I learned is my husband and I graduated from college and it was a recession. So there wasn't jobs available and um, there was, but there was lots of opportunities when it was so tough and it was tough in agriculture at the time too. And so we kind of rose from the ashes as far as finding those opportunities. And now as we're maybe fearing another recession, we're thinking, oh, like we've been through this before, we can do this. But the key is you have to be disciplined when times are good, right? And prepare, just like grandma would advise you, to save for a rainy day when it's bad. And I think every eight to 10 years, we can kind of count on it like clockwork because this up and downward cycle. And if you talk to older ranchers, a 90-year-old rancher, he's been through it many times in his mm -hmm. life. And they often have the best nuggets of advice to give you. But it's, you know, keeping your standard of living in check and, and not having lifestyle creep and you know just um, being realistic about what that ranch can bring in for income and finding ways to diversify whether it's with new breeds of cattle or some different revenue streams and being creative because I think if we think outside the box um, that's where people are gonna not just sur survive but even thrive even in difficult mm -hmm. markets. Amanda we we're really enjoying this conversation and we hate to let you go but before we wrap up um, since you are a millennial, we'd love to hear what's one thing that you find challenging as a millennial in the ag industry, and what is your favorite thing about being a millennial in the ag industry? Whoa, that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I was raised as the oldest of three girls, and my dad just raised us like we were boys. Like, you, you were very capable of doing anything and everything you set your mind to. And I will say, when I first graduated college... I definitely noticed I was a young woman in agriculture. I'm not meaning that people were being sexist against me because I was a woman or being ageist against me, but because it was young, I was young, but I felt like I had to work really hard to prove myself and just prove my worth. And I found that if you just work really hard and really focus on your talents and your skills and your passions, it doesn't matter if you're 21 years old or 61 years old. Um, people value the work and the passion and the hustle. And so um, I guess that's my favorite and least favorite part is that, again, when times are tough, there's also opportunities in it. And so you can either use some of those things as an excuse, like people won't give me a chance because I'm a woman or I'm young or whatever. Or you could say, hey, I'm going to surprise people when I walk into the room and I'm going to work harder than everyone else in this room. And then they can't deny me the opportunities because I've earned my spot at the table. That's great advice. And we really thank you, Amanda, for being here and taking time out of out of your day to come speak with us and be on our podcast. Where can um, our listeners find you? And what, uh, what other products you have? You have some really cute things sure. set out at the trade show that yeah. I've been eyeing. Um, so where can listeners find you and purchase some of your products? Sure. Um, so they can read my blog at beefmagazine.com. Uh, they can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And then I have my own site, amandaradkey.com. And I sell my children's books there as well as like fun graphic tees and, and uh, farm animal toys and greeting cards and all kinds of fun goodies. I'm like stocking the site for Black Friday to have lots of fun <laughs> stuff. Um, so yeah, so it's just been kind of a fun creative outlet for me outside of writing to like, well, hey, I'd wear that t-shirt. So I'm going to carry it on my site and see if other people like it too. So it's it's been fun. But yeah. Oh, good. Well, thank you again for being here. And thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Feel free to reach out to us, provide feedback, and submit your questions. 
Our email address is Catherine at MillennialAg.com. That is Catherine with a K, A T H A R I N E. And please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Also, rate us on your favorite podcast platform. <laughs>